Now, I'm going to sit down this morning and I'll explain why in a moment. Some of you guys would have noticed um, over the last few weeks we've been focusing quite significantly in, um, in the sermons and in the content of what we've been looking at on intimacy with God. And part of the reason this has been happening, uh, in, small insight into preaching, it's one of these things, I'm only really allowed to talk to you about a topic if we're either looking at it together or if God has already done something in me about it. Because if I speak to you about something that I have no experience about, and unless we're looking at one of the uh, writings in Scripture where, where it talks to teach us about that, then I really have nothing to say. And so in the midst of all this stuff we've been looking at the last month about intimacy with God, I've been speaking because he's been, for want of a better term, going to town on me about it. And at the start of each week, I've been sitting down and saying to the Lord, well, what are we going to look at this week? You know, what passage of scripture are we going to have a look at? And this last week he said, Bob, you need to share your testimony. And I said, no. That's half of what I said. Um, because looking at theology is safe for me. Op opening my heart up to you guys sometimes doesn't feel safe. So I'm going to share my testimony this morning. And then we're going to end up looking at this interesting passage of Scripture because I think there's something that God wants to bring out of it. G'day. For those of you who are new or visiting this morning, this is not usual. I don't usually sit down. Um, and I usually share anecdotes about myself if they're funny to get a point across because that's safe too. Start with a little bit of history. Um, I grew up in a Christian household and really that entire my entire upbringing and my father's upbringing owes to really the faith of my grandfather. And since my grandmother passed away last year, I've actually been able to re-establish a relationship with my grandfather and to ask him questions about all these stories that I heard when I was a kid. So we've been connecting a lot more. But he, uh, he came to faith during a Billy Graham crusade here in Australia in 1956. Um, he wasn't at the crusade. He was sitting in a little shed somewhere where some very dedicated, Jesus-loving techies had managed to hook up uh, a network of wires across Australia. And he sat in front of a little speaker um, that was down the front of a church and the Holy Spirit convicted him and he gave his life to the Lord. And it was not smooth sailing. He was involved with a bunch of different churches. And something significant happened. My dad's mum, my grandmother... Uh, had an overwhelming physical illness, um, mainly to do with arthritis, and it started when she was in her mid-30s. So they had an old XB wagon, and my dad and his four brothers would pile into this wagon, and my grandmother would lay in the back because she couldn't sit, and she couldn't walk, and she couldn't move. So one day my grandfather got desperate and went from the little Methodist chapel where they were to a healing meeting in a tent and my grandmother was miraculously healed um, proper 
I don't know if she did cartwheels across the front of this little tent, but it was supernatural and it was instantaneous and it utterly changed their family. Uh, they went back to share this with the church that they were attending and my grandfather was told in no uncertain terms, the devil has healed your wife. You need to renounce this healing because this is not of the Spirit of God. Suffice to say, um, he didn't buy that as an excuse. So Grandad got involved with other different churches, and some of them were Church of Christ, some of them were Anglican, some of them were Baptist. And he was a builder, and he went around, and a whole bunch of little churches I visited in Sydney were actually built by my grandfather. And they wound up in St Mary's in Western Sydney, where both my mum and my dad grew up. And... Um, and they were involved in several different churches and got involved with a Pentecostal denomination that was based out of Sydney at the time. Um, my dad had met my mum and they were attending a small Anglican church. And they went away on a church youth camp and had an experience of the overwhelming presence of the Spirit of God. And they would use the phrase that they were baptised in the Spirit. And so they came back and they went to this Anglican church and they chatted with someone and they said, don't let the minister hear that the Holy Spirit's got you, otherwise he'll kick you out of the church. And that's what happened. So in, uh, in 1976, my grandfather moved up to Coffs Harbour and planted a church called Bethel. And that was the church that my dad took over when I was quite young and he pastored for around about 15 years. But that church, understandably, was anti-establishment flavoured. That church was a church which in one sense had, had moved in a very particular direction out of the hurt of my grandparents and of my parents and of their disappointment. So if anything, the church I grew up in was anti-evangelical, if that makes sense to use those terms. And the, it was very much flavoured by a pursuit of intimacy with the Spirit of God but coupled with that was this very strong wariness of knowledge, of saying, oh, knowledge will puff you up, knowledge will make you prideful, knowledge will, will mean that you'll abandon the Spirit of God. And there were other things that were going on in that church as well. My father did not want Bible studies in the church because he had only ever seen them result in church splits before. He had only ever seen all of these negative things happen. So I grew up in a church where there were no established Bible studies. And, and that was the, the flavor of everything that happened. Our worship services, we'd, we would start singing, and generally we'd sing for about an hour and a half to two hours without stopping. And then you would have a sermon that would go for between 15 minutes and two hours. And there was a morning service and an afternoon service and an evening service. And some Sundays you didn't go home because the morning service became the afternoon service and the afternoon service became the evening service and, and, and then at some point someone said the kids have school tomorrow and then we stopped and then we went home the, the church itself was a, the result of 14 different building projects um, as funds came into the church it was built on the side of a hill and Sunday school was in the old section of the church down the bottom so when Sunday school program finished we would come up the steps and slide open the door to see if they were done yet and if they weren't done yet then we'd go back and hang out at Sunday school a bit more and there were some mornings where we would come up and we'd slide this door open and 
everyone in church would be marching around with tambourines and flags and banners and singing and, and praising loudly. And, and the musicians weren't playing a thing, but everyone was just... And that was the culture of church. My parents sent me to an Anglican high school and I had many interesting conversations with the Anglican chaplain who was there. But I remember one in particular, we were sitting in class and she said, oh, Bob, you go to a Pentecostal church. Um, you guys are really on about the Holy Spirit, aren't you? And I actually had no clue what she was talking about. Because for me, it was normal. And I said, well, I, I don't think we have an undue emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Not that I'm aware of. But at the age of 13, there were two friends of my grandparents who were traveling missionaries. And they, I, I wish I could remember their names, but I need to, I'll find out. I can't believe I forgot, but up through northern, uh, northern Queensland and across through the Northern Territory, they would go and do um, outreaches to, to all these different communities. And they, they came to our church, and my grandfather basically said, oh, cool, you can have the service for the next two weeks. Just come and bring whatever's on your heart. And there was a very profound something that happened. One of my mates, uh, whose father was a deacon at the Anglican Church, and he played clarinet, his name's Peter, he came across to go, cool, yeah, let's hang out. And after one of these meetings, he went forward to get prayed for and he crumpled in a pile at the front of the church and he laid there sobbing for four hours. And, and afterwards I asked him about it and he said, I was just overcome with the beauty of God. And he said, and I had this strange burning sensation all here on my arms. And that week I had had this same strange sensation. And, uh, and we thought it was quite peculiar. Those of you who've done the Alpha course... That sensation is something that Nikki Gumbel actually talks about as part of the content of the Alpha Course, saying that when that happens, sometimes it's accompanied by a temporary gift of healing that the Holy Spirit is going to minister in that time and place. I wish I had have known it at the time. But it was a, it was a very, very strange two weeks. The second week, um, I was sitting in a pew somewhere towards the back of this church, and... And I had what I can only describe as a, a vision. And I know that sounds strange and peculiar, and I'm not a dreams and visions kind of person. But I had something happen, and I found myself in the presence of God himself, standing, well, kneeling before the white throne of judgment. That was the experience that this 13-year-old was having. And... And he spoke to me then and there about being called to minister. That he had tasks for me to do and that, that what he was asking me to do was to equip the saints. And so that did my head in for weeks and weeks and weeks after that. I didn't tell my parents because this sort of stuff is just strange and off the planet. And even for, for the church I was in, this was strange and off the planet. This was not usual. And I remember the only person I could chat to about it was my nana. And she would just smile at me. But I kept saying to God, you've got the wrong guy. You know, find me a 13-year-old who feels holy and righteous, who feels that they are well-equipped for ministry. And so I kept trying to put it from my mind. And when I was in high school, um, I did and went through all the stuff that any normal high school student goes through. I dressed in black and dyed my hair and, and got into a, a whole bunch of both unhealthy things as well as things which were, which were very difficult to deal with. There, there was bullying, there was self-harm, all, all that sort of stuff that happens when you're a teenager. And I found myself 
trying to ignore that this thing had happened. The intimacy of the Spirit of God, he, he would still speak to me very, very clearly, but I just didn't want to know about it. I didn't want to hear about it. And so I just kept saying, no, you've got the wrong person, you've got the wrong person, not interested. And it was only when I was at university in Sydney that he started speaking to me much more uh, cuttingly, if I can use that word. So I would be out with all of the other um, theatre students and with all of the other engineering students because they were the only people who could keep up with the theatre students. And we would... And so we would be going and doing huge karaoke nights and all this sort of stuff and, and there was a whole bunch of very unhealthy stuff that was going on at the same time. And I remember one occasion so, so clearly of going in to use the bathroom at, at the University of Western Sydney, Kingswood campus, going in to use the, the men's room and going in and as I was washing my hands, the Spirit of God spoke to me. It was as close to audible as you can get without being audible and he said, you know better. And I was like, leave me alone. You know, I can't even sin without you turning up. My dad used to use the phrase that he was a terrible sinner. You get halfway and then you can't anymore. And I know what that feels like because the conviction of the Spirit didn't leave me. And it was so irritating. And I'm so thankful. But there was a girl I had met at the time and she was living in... Ballarat and studying in Melbourne and I can tell this story because she's on Sunday school this morning but when when I had first met Anthea there was this thing where I was half-heartedly going okay God all right you, you want to talk let's talk and it was it was sort of I wasn't really interested but there was this huge amount of guilt and so okay guilt's a motivating force sure I'll, I'll talk to you out of guilt and and this, this thing started to happen where I began to just take very tiny steps back in the direction of God and of Christ. And so there, there was this amazingly astounding brunette who I had met. And the conversations that we had had together were things which kept echoing in me for days and days afterwards. And I'd been in several relationships before and I knew, okay, there's, there's this infatuation stage that you go through. And we'd sort of been talking about a few different things. And again, this incredibly strong voice of the Holy Spirit basically said, um, she's not to be touched. And I was sort of like, what? I want this one. <laughs> and there was this very clear sense from the Spirit of God to go, no, 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 no. You are done messing around. You either do this properly or not at all. And it was, in retrospect, it was almost as though God was saying, if you want the girl, you've got to get me first because she's mine. Now, I am not an advocate of flirt to convert. <laughs> but there was this thing of going, all right, I, I want to do this honorably. Lord, I... I I know it is equally possible for me to make, and I love that decisions were talked about this morning. Thank you, Max. I know it's equally possible for me to make the kind of decisions that are going to put me in a gutter face down one day. But Lord, I want to make wise decisions because I want the girl. And so, and so God took me to Melbourne and gave me a job in a fridge and really went to work on me, uh, just stripping all of this stuff back that we've been talking about over the last four weeks, going, okay, Let's, let's get rid of your idea of what church is. Let's get rid of your idea of what worship looks like. Let's get rid of your idea of how you're supposed to talk to me. And let's just get back to the heart. Do you actually want me? Do you want me? 
And until I was at that point of going, okay, Lord, I actually don't want you. I really don't want you, but I want to want you. Then he's like, cool, now we can start. Now we've gotten to the very core of who you are, and I will build from here. And everything changed after that. 2005, we got married, and in our first year of marriage, we did uh, a 12-month internship uh, called the Ambassadors Program, which Diamond Valley Baptist Church ran. In your first year of marriage, doing a Christian internship program, both of you, the first year of marriage is a roller coaster ride as it is of emotion and going, oh my goodness, I'm not even going to stay in the same house as this person. And all of the, the little arguments and fights and, you know, is it knives, forks, spoons or spoons, forks, knives or any of those things which get blown out of proportion, but let alone being in this environment and we were there with 10 other people to go, okay, we are seeking to know God's heart for us to minister. And part of that was a trip to Uganda. And while we were over there, there was a guy that I got to know well and his name was Mick. Mick had had a very, very coloured past. Um, he had also been involved with theatre and with acting. He had been incredibly heavily into uh, drug use and, and drug abuse and dealing drugs. And, and he, he was the kind of guy who was sort of like, oh, yes, this particular group, this is how they dispose of the dead bodies when someone overdoses. That was his level of understanding. And he shared his radical conversion experience that had only happened a few months before where he was about to take his own life. I think I've shared some of his story. And he physically saw and felt the Spirit of God enter in through the window of the room and go down his throat and his body felt like it was consumed with energy and light and love. And his addictions left him supernaturally. And he was filled with this love for his enemies that he'd never had before. And that was his experience. So we're in Africa with this guy. And of course, I'm the all-wise, all-knowing pastor's son who has come back to the Lord. And while we were over there, um, the guy who was, who was sort of leading the group was really praying that the Holy Spirit would show us something and would minister through us. And so Mick started having visions when he would be praying for people and he would speak through the interpreter about things they had hidden from God and there was conviction coming and they were giving glory to God. They were being released from from things which had caught them up, and it was the grace of God ministering through this incredibly out there, vibrant kind of guy. And I got insanely jealous, really jealous. So I went back to the Lord about it, mature as I was at the time, and I said, what gives? You know, come on, I'm, I'm a, it sounded like the Apostle Paul, I'm a Jew of Jews, I was taught by Gamaliel, I was all this sort of stuff. And God started ministering to me in that, not only to deal with my, my arrogance and my pride, but also to go, I want you to do teaching. You know, this is not the shape you are. Could you actually hack it if I put the pictures into your head that he is seeing? And I was like, you're right, I want to do teaching. So off to Bible college it was then when we came back to, to fill my head with knowledge. And because I grew up in a vacuum of Bible studies and a vacuum of of that kind of level of discussion and nuts and bolts, there was no space in the church I grew up for a young person to go and ask questions. The, the picture I always had in my head is it's like water lilies. If you asked me a question theologically, I actually gave you the correct answer. I just had no clue as to how I had arrived at that answer because all I'd ever been given was the answer. And so plugging into to church and plugging into Bible studies and then getting involved in theological college I was consumed by this passionate desire to understand and to know. 
And I remember years ago chatting to my dad and I said, you know, I, I just want to chase every rabbit down every hole. And I remember him shaking his head at me and going, you're going to get lost. There's too much sun. You know, let, let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you in your education process. And I'm like, no, 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 I will, I will learn these things. I will become theologian extraordinaire. And so I filled my head with knowledge. And one thing that happened at the time was my own personal belief structure about God. Some of you will understand these terms, but I swung the pendulum as hard as I could into hyper-Calvinism. And I, I knew all of the resources, I knew all of the arguments, I knew all of the intricacies of how these things worked. I think it was St. Augustine who said that um, theology is the construction of cathedrals of the mind. That when you, when you ask someone a theological question, it's never just sitting on its own. It's always attached to these other things. And so during this period of time when I was at college, I had constructed these amazing structures in my mind of what related to what. And I remember one time sitting in the cafe at Bible college and someone asked me a question. And it would, it, like a dumb, simple question, like, Bob, do you want another coffee? Easy question to answer. And I remember the person standing there and looking at me strangely. And I remember looking at them and then I realized that that it had been several seconds and I hadn't answered because I was so absorbed with this, this facet of a doctrine which I was just overwhelmed by how beautiful this particular doctrine was, how intricate it was, how much it reflected the nature of the divine triune life and all this sort of stuff. And I couldn't even have a conversation with someone. So then the last five or seven years of being involved in ministry, particularly young adult ministry in Melbourne and then being up here more than two years now, is a mishmash of all of these things coming back together. And about August last year, something started happening. God tapped me on the shoulder and he said something scarily simple. When God says something and he says it to you in about three or four words, be afraid in a good, in a good healthy way. But God said to me, Bob, remember who you are. And I thought, get real I, I know who I am and he started reminding me and there was an event that was on in, um, in Melbourne that my wife took me to as a birthday present in August and there was something of the spirit of God that turned up in that moment that I had not had happen in my life for about a decade and it was this strange thing. I made a whole lot of phone calls. I chatted to a whole bunch of different people going, I don't know what to do about this. Um, I shared it with the elders to go, look, there's, there's this stuff going on. I don't know whether, it's, whether I need to look at ordination. I don't know whether I need to look at any of these other things. But he's poking me. He's prodding me about this. Then last week, last week we talked about allegiance and talking about how if the Spirit of God is in you, there are, like, if you're an Australian citizen, it will show up. You will have a little tacky uh, shoulder tattoo at some point in your life, in all likelihood. Or there will be something about the way you speak, or something about the way you answer when you're in the middle of another country and someone yells out, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. There's, there are signs that show up if you're an Australian, and there are also signs that show up if you're in the kingdom of God. And last week I had the opportunity, after after we did that sermon, and I was feeling so mixed up last week. It was a very peculiar week last week. And I went uh, with some other people that I knew to go on a prayer walk, to go for a walk and to pray 
about specifically the, the places where we were walking around and to say, Holy Spirit, would you help us to know what to pray for this place where we're walking around? And again, it's been about 10 years since I'd gone on a prayer walk. And so someone taps me on the shoulder while we're there and said, oh, such and such is over here. Can you come and pray for their back? I thought, yeah, sure, bring it on. Let's go pray for a back. And it was someone, it was someone else who I knew and, and we just sort of got into praying and there was something about the way that we were praying, again, that there was this very, very distant familiarity with it. And as we're praying, this person starts shaking all over the place. It just sort of starts shaking. And I don't know whether it's because the person's back is that sore they can't stand up, and we've had them standing up too long. I had no idea what it was. Praying for the person, and then we, we sort of finish praying. We're like, cool, move around. How's that? Okay, has anything changed? Do we need to keep praying? Do we need to go again? And the person's like, no, it, it's fine, actually. Now, the person still has pain all through their hips the person still has breathing difficulties and a bunch of other issues but God healed their back and so while this was happening while we're standing there praying I'm asking the Holy Spirit to go okay help me to pray here I want to I want to be praying for the right thing can you show me how to pray so we're praying for the person's back and I had this picture of a fluid like a sponge getting water soaked into it of something moving from this place in the person's back up up and through their chest and their stomach and up towards their head. And so I thought, cool, I'll pray that. Lord, would you move this healing from their back up and up and through their chest and through their head? Lord, anything that needs to get healed, would you heal it? Would you heal their heart? Would you heal their mind? And so after we finished praying, I ended up being paired with this person to go out and to do this prayer walk thing. And the person starts just sharing about all of this difficult family stuff that's going on and hurts which the person had not expressed in a long time started coming out. And there was the opportunity for us to go, cool, where is Jesus in this situation? You know, let's bring it back to the master himself. And this person was having this other sort of healing that had come out of this healing in their back. And then they said, Bob, when you were praying, why did I start shivering and shaking like that? What was, what was the deal? What's that about? And I say, well, sometimes the Holy Spirit does stuff. Cool. Well, the aim, the aim is for you to know Jesus more. But sometimes this happens. And so all of this stuff happened last week. And so suffice to say, at the start of this week, when he said, Bob, I want you to share your testimony, I said, well, give me a passage of scripture to make sense of all of this. Because my story is nothing compared with his story. And my experiences are fine for me, but they're not fine for you. Your experiences are fine for you. Your experiences are the ones that the Holy Spirit plugs into. And so I was looking at all of these things and going, Lord, you know, there's so many different stages of life already that you've journeyed me through how, how, how do we make sense of this so if you've got a bible please open it to the book of luke because i believe that this is what the holy spirit wants to bring out of this morning in the next five minutes luke 24 this is a passage that we looked at this is another reason i said lord i don't want to look at this passage we looked at this at easter he said no no no. come on seriously so we're in luke 24 and this is after the resurrection, and it says this, this is the NIV version, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, that's two disciples, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? 
And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, this is what it looks like to get critiqued by Jesus himself. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village which they were going, to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Interesting passage of scripture. So I went back to this and poured over it and had a look at a few different sources and I said, Lord, what on earth does this have to do with this journey of faith? And there's an entire field of Christian study uh, called formation studies. How you grow as a Christian. Things that the Holy Spirit will teach you as you go along. Lessons you will learn. And looking at this particular passage of scripture, there were some things which started to come out of it quite clearly that I thought of in terms of myself, but also in terms of where I believe we are at as a church. Because I keep asking this question, Lord, what are you doing in our district? What are you doing? There's things happening. I would love to have some sort of insight into why they're happening. We can see what's happening, but what, what are you building here? What's going on? Why is it happening this way? These two disciples already had the women from the tomb tell them that Jesus had come back from the dead. And they were still sad. They already had the good news and they were still sad. They were still downcast because they lacked understanding. Now that was a point that I was at in my walk when God started getting my attention. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe that's a point that you've been at as well. But Jesus' response is to go, all right, I can see that you've already received the right information, but something hasn't clicked. Something hasn't clicked. You have received the gospel and something hasn't clicked. So what does Jesus do? Step number one, he gives them more information, better information. Now they're not just getting the good news without Jesus. Now they're getting the good news with Jesus in the picture as well. And maybe this is the point that you're at. To go, okay, now I've finally re-engaged with the faith and now I know Christ is with me and things are starting to make more sense. Now here's where it's interesting. As they are walking on the road, their hearts burn within them. And this is, this is the point I wanted to make this morning. Their hearts are burning within them as they walk along the road, having a burning heart sensation. We heard last week from John Wesley, he had that. Burning hands is something I've felt. Perhaps you've had a, a, a physical sensation of electricity washing all over your body. Perhaps you've had a physical sensation of healing. Any of these sorts of things. That's what these guys had. 
and it was the Holy Spirit testifying to the words of Jesus. Now here is the scary part. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village where they were going. He acted as if he was going farther. Jesus was testing these guys to see if they were happy with a burning heart experience. Jesus is happy to leave them there, to not come in, if they are satisfied with information and a tingle in their chest. That's not what Jesus wants for them. But if that's all they want, he's happy to leave them there. Now, I was there for a long time. I had this amazing, beautiful knowledge thing going on. And I, I still had all the stuff that, that was my familiarity with the Spirit of God testifying to the words of Jesus Christ. And I was happy enough to go, oh, cool. All right, I'm good. I'm actually all good. I got a nice beat on things. It's all cool. What Jesus desires is not to just stay outside and to leave us with a burning heart experience. Because have a look what happens then. These guys go, no, actually, we're not satisfied. We are not satisfied. We've received this amazing teaching. We've received this testimony of, of the Holy Spirit testifying to what you're saying is true. Our hearts are burning inside of us. We are not yet satisfied. Come in. Come in and eat with us. The, almost the single most intimate act that you can share with another person is to sit down and to share a meal with them, to go, cool, let's, let's eat the same food. Let me cook for you. Let's, let's sit down and actually share a meal and open up to each other. I believe that this is what Jesus has been trying to get our attention about, particularly for me, but for us as a church, is to go, are we satisfied? At some point along the road, have we become satisfied with something that isn't intimacy? Because Jesus is saying here, this is what I want. I want to come in. I want to come in. I want to sit with you. I want to eat with you. If you're satisfied with a burning heart and knowledge, I'm not going to interrupt. I'm a gentleman. There's one other place in Scripture that comes to mind. Please turn to Revelation chapter 3, which talks about Jesus and being outside when he wants to come inside. And we'll finish on this. Revelation chapter 3. From verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. There's not enough time to go into it all the different symbols that we have here. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. This is what happens if you don't invite Jesus in. This is what happens if we make him stand outside. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is written to the church. This is not written to unbelievers. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and... Eat with that person and they with me. 
To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I have no desire, no agenda to try and turn any church ministry or meeting or song or anything into a photocopy of what I had when I was a kid or what I had when I was a teenager or what I had in Melbourne five years ago. I have no desire to do that because it's counterproductive. What I want is for us as a church to go, okay, Lord, when we invite you in, how does, how does that change us? This town needs us. Well, this town only needs us if we need Jesus. If Jesus is not in us, if, if we have not invited him in, then there's something that is still left to happen in our own personal walk. All of these other things. I mean, imagine, imagine you go to play a game of golf and you get to the seventh hole and you go, actually, it's really cool here. We're just going to play the seventh hole from now on. The aim is not the seventh hole. The aim is to make it the whole way through to the clubhouse. Same thing here. The aim is not knowledge. The aim is not to have a burning heart experience. The aim is to invite Jesus in. Come in and eat with me. The aim is intimacy. These other things are waypoints along the way. These are, these are other things that we will go through that we will have happen. But the aim is Jesus. Now, we have a guest speaker next week. The week after that, we're going to be doing our final topic for the Eat the Elephant series. We've had a bit of a break in between, but I will warn you and say in a fortnight's time we're looking at same-sex marriage and sexual attraction is the big elephant topic that we're looking at in a fortnight. It's, a, it's an interesting way to change perspective when you go, Lord, what are you doing in our district? What are you doing in our church? What are you doing in, in all of these ministries that that we have dedicated back to you this morning? And then to go, we want you to come in and to to dine with us, to be intimate with us, to be as near to you as if we were sharing a meal. I don't think he's done talking with us about this topic. But let's wrap up this morning. Lord Jesus, we desire to be intimate with you. And Holy Spirit, I ask, I ask that, that you would continue to make it plain to us your will for us as individuals and for us as a church, for us as a community. Lord, I ask for, for, for each person here that we would be holding on to you more than we hold on to any specific experience that we have had. We are holding on to you right now, today. Lord Jesus, would you continue calling us to attention as to what you are doing in our lives today, in our conversations today, in our decisions today. Lord, we don't just want to end up knowing about you. We want to know you yourself. We don't just want to have the Holy Spirit testify to us about, about scripture passages that speak of you. We want to know you yourself, to know the Jesus of scripture, to draw near to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Lord Jesus, would you have your way in this church? Would you have your way in our lives? Would your gospel please continue to reach out through us?
into the Philippines, into our local area, across to Africa. Lord Jesus, would you truly make us your people? In your precious name we pray. Amen.